Welcome to the All About You podcast. My name is Sheila and I am your host. In this podcast, I invite people to tell their stories of their travels, hobbies and passions. These podcasts are also now available on my All About You YouTube channel. So if you have a story to tell, please contact me on allaboutyoupodcast at yahoo.com and let's tell your story. Welcome to the All About You podcast and my guests today are Melissa and Rick from San Francisco and today we're going to be talking about starting their business which is called Forever Litter Trays and this is an eco-friendly solution for your cat. So Melissa and Rick, welcome to the All About You podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to this conversation because I don't actually have a cat so I'm interested to see what this process is all about. So let's start at the beginning then. So where did the idea come from to start an eco-friendly solution to having a cat? We've both had cats most of our lives. And when we were living back in the Bay Area, we lost a cat. And then we decided we were going to, cat owners never leave their cats. So we decided we were going to adopt another couple of cats and do an inside situation for them to use the litter box instead of letting them go out. So I researched what I felt would be the best automated litter box thing because I'm lazy as far as cleaning the litter box. It's a stinky, smelly process. And I found a machine that the cat goes in, an electric eye goes off, it sweeps the poops into a poop compartment, very technical terms here, and then resets itself and it makes life a lot easier. So I researched that, but their business model was to use a cardboard cartridge that's disposable. It was expensive. It's very bad for the environment because that cartridge just goes into landfill. It's a large piece of urine and feces soaked cardboard. So I redesigned it. That was our need. It was just based on our cats. And then from there, started playing around with the idea a little bit. I made one for myself, made a couple for some friends that had the same machine and then as they say, the rest is history. I mean, they do say the best ideas are born out of necessity. And I think particularly living here in Valencia, majority of people live in apartment buildings. Majority of people have a small dog because of the living situation or a cat. As you say, in a city, a lot of people have house cats. So the typical situation is the smelly cat litter tray in the hall. You've obviously got an engineering background by the sound of this. If you are designing yes, and I'm fiddling about in your garage. Formerly trained as an engineer and then uh, a lot of uh, a lot of money went into my, my education and here I'm designing a cat poop box. You know, you do what you can. So Melissa, when you heard about this plan of Rick's, what was your first impression? Good idea? He'd lost his mind? Yes, um, I'm laughing because I think I told him off. He told me about cat litter box idea, this expensive machine, cardboard trays that cost 20 bucks a pop. And I remember saying, Rick, that's a lot of money every month. It's two cats. It's going to be, what, 60 bucks? I will just scoop the poop. Let's get a plastic box and I'm happy to scoop the poop. And that's when he said, look, no, I've done all the research as he does. He could probably write a dissertation on cat litter boxes. 
He had done all the research. He'd been to the cat litter forums, the groups, the listservs, the everything for people who had this particular machine and found that there's a market here for something and I want to give it a go. So I said, okay, go for it, Rick. How are we going to make it happen? And the next thing I know, we're having pieces of precision cut plastic coming into our garage and we're gluing them and putting special stuff that I don't even know what it is on it and doing all the shipping and everything for, I don't know, a year and a half, two years? Two years. We made, we, uh, for the, actually the first year we handmade 2,000 in the garage, the two of us, well, mostly me, but Melissa, there are some trays out there that were made by you. So Did you put your name on them, Melissa, just in case? <laughs> I should have. I should you have. You should have done. Yes. Let me just get this right. Rick, you did all the design, that's your engineering background. Melissa, you were like, yeah, okay, but, you know, a little bit of reservations. But then the two of you are gluing and sticking, and you're doing the shipping, you're putting it all together in your garage. You're sitting here looking at uh, design, engineering, manufacturer, uh, marketing, shipping, and customer service all in all between the two of us. Well, I hope you get paid well for all those. You're wearing all these different hats. <laughs> so it took uh, it took quite a while for Melissa. Melissa actually, we both had real jobs. So this was in time before work in the morning or after work in the after in the evening. So you are still working full time in both of us. Sort of yes. other jobs mm -hmm. yes. and doing this in your so called free time. Yes. That's one hell of a commitment. It certainly was. I mean, Rick would get up early in the morning, maybe go to the gym, go to the garage, check out the the boxes that had been glued the night before, and then put on the next bit of glue to give him the final set, and then go to work. And I would go to work, and then we'd come home and check and make sure everything's okay, and then get the orders that had come through, put them in boxes, and get them ready to be taken to the post office the next morning and repeat. So be up at 5 a.m., go to bed at midnight for quite some time. I think this is pretty typical, isn't it? Because you're both working full-time, so you both have a steady income coming in. Mm. So the mortgage is paid, the bills are paid, but you are still birthing another business and this is quite a complex business. You're not buying the product from person A, tarting it up, and then you're reselling that as product B. You are from scratch. Handmade from scratch. The really rewarding part of it, though, is cat people. So some of your listeners may be cat people in this. And cat people are lovely. We're all a little bit crazy. Uh, we're very tightly bonded as cat people. But um, as the business grew, I actually be developed a relationship with some of the customers because they'd ask questions. They were delighted, obviously, to be saving the money. They were delighted to be eco-friendly, etc. So I have customers that we started 16 years ago. I have customers who've contacted me who still use some of the trays mm -hmm. that Melissa and I made 15, 16 years ago. They were the ones also who helped us improve because someone would say, well, what about this little thing oh, that I hadn't thought of? And so over the years, our cat customers helped us even make the product even better. That is such an interesting point because you birthed your product out of necessity. And it's, in theory, in my mind, it's a simple product in respect of what it's meant to do. Uh -huh. But obviously design and how it functions and how you build it is something completely complex. 
the fact that you were still willing to listen to your customers and take that on board, that doesn't happen in corporate. It doesn't, and it's unfortunate. I think it's, I call it old-fashioned because it's just listening to customers, developing a relationship, a long-term relationship with them, and making sure that you can help each other. Because in the end, we may be selling a product, but we're, we're fellow cat owners as well. So why not help each other out? I think that is so interesting what you're saying is building that relationship with your customers. It's a long-term thing, but you are listening to your customers. And I think these days with everything being so big in corporate, once they've got your money, they don't care what you think of, of their product or whether it works, whether it could have a better design. So the fact that you are Listening to your customers, it's a two-way communication, I think is phenomenal. Let's just talk about, you've got the product, you are still working full-time, you've done 2,000 units from your garage. When did you decide, okay, we need to take this a little bit bigger, a little bit further? There's got to be a point where you say, okay, we need to seriously think about, is one of us going to give up our job? Are we going to employ somebody else maybe to do the packing and the shipping? What was the next stage after that? Actually, there's a two-parter to it. One of them was Melissa and I had a sit-down talk because there was such a high demand for them that it was taking up more and more time and just more and more energy. And so we realized that we needed to look at having them actually manufactured by a plastics company. And so the other part of that is similar to what I was talking about, about the other cat owners, it's the network. I have a friend who had another friend who is in a large uh, segment of the plastics industry. Let me set you up for a meeting with Denny, the guy in the plastics business who has factories in China, huge. They're one of the largest suppliers to Walmart in the U.S., to Kmart for plastic product. So I met with Denny in his office and it's kind of a funny story in itself because took our product and what we're trying to do and the replacement and Denny and I actually sat on the floor of his office with the machine and as I'm showing him all the little details and how this works and he said let's do this so um, that was the relationship that started 15 years ago I want to say um, because we did the first year of the 2000 and then uh, he helped us and we have been with that company in manufacturing the entire time. It's, again, it's the relationship. And that's what makes such a difference in business. It does. What happened next? So you've now got a manufacturer. There is all these funny little stories I think about it. So the manufacturer, we worked a scary deal because the factory that Denny was connecting us to would only manufacture a run or uh, an amount in a full container load, which was more than I, and for one order, was 4,080 units, which was more than I made in the entire year by myself. And we had to prepay that. Uh, so Melissa sold all her jewelry. Melissa stayed at her job. We dug into our, our sands. Heads down and then and... Um, the first container arrived. Now, my business at the time, I owned an automotive business, automotive repair and high performance and racing business. So I had a, a fairly large shop. Um, but we didn't have anywhere to send the container because there was no... It wasn't we didn't have a warehouse. We didn't have a warehouse store. or anything. Mm-hmm. So the container was delivered to the loading dock at my automotive shop. And Melissa kept my mind on things. And I unloaded that entire container 
alone all night yes. almost into my shop. And the shop looked like a it looked like a warehouse. It looked like exactly it looked like, like a, a huge warehouse and we had to make little lanes for cars to go through that we worked that was our primary business to go through. And that was where that was the first time we actually started shipping manufactured trays was from my automotive shop. I've got this picture now of you say you've had to build a little path through your automotive shop and you've got these boxes upon boxes. You've now gone from 2,000 in your garage to 4,000 in your car area. At that point, did you sort of look at all these boxes and think, oh my God, what have we done? Was was there a moment like that? There Absolutely. Were, there were some words that probably can't be said on the car right, podcast okay. that came I, out. I can imagine. <laughs> it, was, it was scary. It was a very scary time. But boy, they just kept flying out the door. So how were you marketing the product? Let's go back to being mm. back in the garage. So when you've got all this stuff in your garage, 2,000 units, how are you getting that out to your customers? Did you, this was presumably before social media, how, how were you marketing your product? Um, initially, it was using the forums that Melissa mentioned earlier. I was on the forums. Customers would say, these cardboard trays are junk. They leak, and the manufacturer was just, they were making a ton of money because they were putting very little effort into the design and reliability of these trays. So um, I was communicating with these people. Some of them started buying, and then they started spreading the word. It wasn't social media, but in the other forums and stuff, hey, there's somebody making these. They're on eBay. Initially, it was on eBay, and then later we transitioned to Amazon selling them. And so it was on Amazon that we became found really more largely after we started manufacturing and it was the spread uh, the relationship with Amazon in the beginning which I just won't say a lot about Amazon but Amazon can be wonderful and they can be very difficult to work with. Is that being diplomatic? Yes. Yeah, yes. I think that was yeah. a good answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a good answer. But uh, initially it was a different Amazon 15 years ago and they were much more more oriented to helping sellers and helping buyers and so there was a it carried on that relationship thing in those days. And so that's really part of what got Yeah, I th and I think um, it is really interesting because today you w we wouldn't be able to start this business in the same way at all. That's how much social media and the way Amazon works has impacted small businesses coming out with a product to sell. It literally was just cat people on forum that were spreading the word. We're spreading the word and sold us those first two thousand, and then four thousand and eighty units just went, and then the machine of Amazon just helped it continue, and then eventually we started uh, on social media. But that was that's one of the happy, not that long ago. One of the happy parts of my story was because. It, we both continued having each having our own jobs and doing this on the side. But now that we weren't manufacturing the units, we were managing the manufacture and sale of the units. It became managing it then. But up until that point, I had Melissa had not formally been become a part of the business. And I kept trying to hint and ask and everything. And uh, eventually I finally convinced her to come in. And so Melissa she handles all the social media marketing, all the social media presence, which is hugely important to us. I want to say this, I kind of like her, she's my wife, you know, but it was a match made in heaven. It, we work very, very well together and that's what made it, it made it fun because we're both cat people, we deal well with people, 
although I do all the customer service, and you do the social media side. So There's a couple of points I want to go back on with mm. what you've just said, Rick. The first thing is talking about spreading the word. If you build a relationship with somebody, the best form of marketing is somebody recognising this is the perfect solution to my problem. And we've all had experiences in our life where we go, oh my God, why hasn't somebody invented an X, Y, Z? Because this drives me up the wall. The second thing is you say, when you find your tribe of people, so you are cat lovers, you then got in touch with other cat lovers and you know they've got the same problem of you with the cat litter tray in the house. So straight away you found your tribe and they're giving you feedback and you're suggesting, well, okay, what about this? I mean, that is, is, is just genius. And as you say, this was before social media. Mm-hmm. Companies before would send out a leaflet, a TV advert, a radio thing. Now, social media, global, virtually free, and 24-7. Yep. So, you know, the fact that starting your business when none of that was around, and as you say, the beginning of eBay, the beginning of Amazon. And Melissa, you came up with a really interesting point. You said starting a business now would be very different to what you did 15 years ago. I mean, one of the things you have to remember with this product as well is that it is it's pretty niche. You have to have purchased this machine, and then you have to find out about this, this product. It was a good idea at a time when people were getting active on the Internet and going to the forums and whatnot, and a lot of these things probably don't even exist anymore. So people are going to social media and going to Amazon and typing in keywords and hoping to find what they're looking for. And you might have 50 different options to choose from. In this particular case, you don't have the 50 to choose from. There's only a couple. And you got to figure out what's good and what's bad and what's real and what's not. And is it fake? Is it, what is this? And that's where the reviews are so critical and the customer relationship now, Amazon has changed the way that functions a little bit, to not to our benefit, and that's a different answer to a different question. But I just think if we started this business now or even last year, our road to success would be a bit longer, even with social media and whatnot, unless we spent a lot of money on ads and advertising to put our product in front of the right people searching for particular keywords. Whereas 16 years ago, we didn't need to do any of that. It just happened. And then it blossomed and it grew because people could see the care that Rick (laughs) was taking in responding to customers. You could see it. And people started responding back and saying, I bought this product because I could see the customer service. And that is really a cornerstone of Forever Literatrace and the success of the business. I think you bring up something interesting. It's that uh, you mentioned customer service, and I, we touched on it earlier. I personally answer every email, every query of customer service, personally, and follow up with it. Because that's, it's, I tell people, are like, they're amazed about that. I'm like, no, it's, it's easy. It's what my mother told me to do. Just listen to your mother. 
Your mother says, treat other people the way you would like to be treated. I think that's going to be the name of the podcast, Rick. Listen you, to your mother. You, 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 can't, <laughs> you can't go wrong. If you treat other people the way you would like to be treated, you're fine. And that's what we do. And, you know, yes, there, believe me, this is why Melissa probably doesn't do the customer service because there's some silly questions and some nonsense things that come through, absolutely. And it would be really easy to brush it off or I don't have patience for this. I'm just going to delete it. But you can't. You just really can't because maybe, you know, their question is actually something else, but they don't, they're not technically oriented, so they don't know what to ask or you don't know what path they're going down or you identify with your back and forth with them that actually the problem is something else. Rick's been on uh, video calls with people and, you know, Rick's down on the floor with our machine and they're down in their bathroom or they're wherever with their machine and, okay, press this button, what's happening? Okay, put the camera up there so I can see. I mean, literally, li literally, literally the two amazing. of us on our, on our smartphones and I'm watching what's going on with him and I'm showing with ours and... And then in the end, we solved this problem, and he was good to go. The thing is, with customer service, these days, you can go and buy a product in, say, one of five outlets. The thing that makes the difference is the customer service. When you walk into a shop, are you ignored? Are you greeted? Is somebody happy to help? I think this is the difference, isn't it? You may be one of a million customers, but you, you feel you're important. And, and I, want, I want you to take notice of me when I walk into a shop, listen mm. to what my problem is and help me solve it with your product. I've entered your premises because I want something from you. A lot of people just want that particular customer service. And I think in corporate, you've got a problem. You're speaking to somebody 10,000 miles away who doesn't really understand your exactly. problem and then you are on the floor with your mobile phone your customers on the floor and you're trying to sort this problem out together that's phenomenal and i think customer service it's worth its weight in gold i think i think you really hit the nail on the head i think that what's happened is our society's become so fast and so instant gratification and everything and the corporations are happy to, to fill that but um, I think it's coming back full circle again because you identify the companies that really care about their customers and it's starting, starting to become more fashionable again. I think, I think that's a key point. To keep an existing customer is a hell of a lot cheaper than running after a new customer. And the thing is, I find in business, new customers, particularly with mobile phones, a new customer will get a better deal mm. than someone who's been with that company yeah. for 10 years. That's wrong. You should be rewarded for loyalty. It's one of my pet peeves. Absolutely for <laughs> yeah. me, but this seems to be the business model. There are so many stories. Another funny story is a lady contacted me because she she's an old customer, a long-time customer, and um, she was developing a bit of a crusty buildup on her tray, and she thought the tray was done. She had the tray for years, five years or something, and she contacted me to order a new tray. I talked myself out of a sale because I taught her the white vinegar trick and yeah. we, we spoke and I was able to, to talk her through cleaning that buildup off her tray and never needing, not needing to buy a new one for that reason. We're still in contact. You know, that's, that's as it should be. I could have easily said, yes, we'll happily sell you another tray, throw that one away. I said, no, you don't need to buy a new tray. And nine out of 10 companies would do exactly that, Rick, even if they could have 
given you a method to clean it, they would say, yeah, fine, okay, put it in the bin and we'll send you a new one. It is so refreshing to hear people who are running a business who are honest, who care about their customers, who will get on the floor with their phone to try and resolve a customer. You've built up this tribe of people. That is so refreshing. You too, do you ever sort of pat yourselves on the back? In this, as you say, this fast world we're all living in, the fact that you are doing this, I, th- I think is phenomenal. I don't, I don't know that we, we do that, but I think there are times when we're, we just smile together when we've helped somebody. You know, it's... Uh... And it's not a bad way to end the day, is it? No, no it isn't, exactly. Someone. And it also helps us. I think another positive on the side is people have commented to us about this and we'll be out somewhere in the world doing something and somebody who's working at a business or an airport or is just doing their job trying to direct somebody here or there and they have to do the same thing over and over again. It's This is usually Rick doing this. But Rick will go out of his way to go up to this person or these people and thank them. You know, I know that you're here all day. You're saying the same thing over and over again. And oh my gosh, and probably 90% of the people aren't listening to you. But I just want to say thank you. And I think that's one thing that this business has taught both of us. Appreciate other people who are out there in the world in front of customers and in front of people. And let them know that they are appreciated, even though they're probably most of the time just bored or feeling sorry for themselves or just can't wait to go home until my shift is over. And then you brighten their day just by going over and saying thank you. And we've had people come up to us afterwards and say, gosh, that was so nice of you. Nobody ever does that. And you think, I hope that you're going to do that tomorrow when you go to the supermarket or wherever you are where you have a similar opportunity. I mean, that's a win-win situation. Let's talk about working together as business partners and husband and wife. If we look at the business so far, you are the engineering side of things and design. Melissa, you're the social media genius. I mean, there's shipping, there's invoicing, there's your customer service, liaising with all the the moving parts in the business. How did you work out who was going to be which department? I think uh, because I came into the business not even that long, five years ago maybe, and I've been doing peripherally social media management but not actually doing the work until the last few years. So Rick stuck with the engineering and the ideas and, and keeping in touch with the factory and the shipping, and I moved into the finances and the, and the marketing because... I was doing that anyway in in life and in in other businesses, so it made sense. I don't have an engineering background. I think what works with that is Rick will come up with, okay, we've had some feedback on this particular issue. I've come up with some ways that we can fix it. Let's figure out together and do some prototyping and whatnot, and I get engaged in that a little bit. Um, Sometimes he's got wild ideas, and my (laughs) role is to, you know, say, hang on. Rain you have to rain him in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're not going to do that. Or tell me all the reasons why it's a good idea. And I need some reasons why it's not a good idea and why it is a good idea. And then let's go from there. You know, there have been some mistakes along the way that we've made and redoing things that didn't need to happen. And so we've learned from that. But splitting of roles, I think, is quite natural. It's been quite natural. I think it's been quite natural because we each bring different skill sets to the table. 
Um, there are skill sets that Melissa has that she's absolutely a rock star in, and I'm rubbish at them. Um, she's not interested in engineering. That's my, my gig. And so we each, we have complementary things, and I think that's what makes it work, is that uh, we have great respect for each other and great respect for how we, each of us thinks and, so, and trust. So when Melissa says, I think that's a rubbish idea, I'm like, okay, 99% certain if she says it's rubbish, it's rubbish. And, uh, and we move on, you know. So it's been, it's not been difficult. Yeah. It's not been hard work at all. Again, we look at things in different ways. And I think in the end, that's one of the big values is having, looking at it from different aspects and things. And so, I think yeah. one of the other things that has played into it is um, being able to separate business from personal that's just something that has almost never been an issue for us. Maybe part of what I've brought to this partnership and this team with this business is having spent a lot of professional time working with startups, meaning people who come up with an idea for a product and they think that it's going to make them a million dollars. And I did so much work with people who said, you know, I've got this paper clip and I'm going to turn it into this special thing that I'm going to use for fishing and people are just going to love it. And it's been my job to sit there and, okay, let's let's start from the beginning. Let's tell me about your product. What do you think the market is? Let's look at the reality. When I came into Forever Literatures and we started doing some iterations of products, I could bring that background in there on a professional level, but not as a, oh, Rick. <laughs> No, and then you know there's there hasn't been friction because of that. No, we've never it in all these years never had friction. On that. Mm -mm. Of course, we don't normally have much friction no. anyway. No, we don't. But <laughs> we're lucky that way. So I mean, it's really nice to hear that you haven't lost your mind over the business because you do appear to be quite separate in respect of different things you bring to the business mm -hmm. and because there's so many different components you know you sort of said well yeah that appeals to me and that's my background sort of thing what about taking downtime from the business I mean I guess here in Valencia do you run the business from a laptop at the breakfast table or do you have an office you go to or how do you work on a daily basis I mean, we have a pretty good routine with, uh, you know, the dog and, and other things that we do. But Rick has an office because he likes to have his office. And also because when he has to do conference calls, <laughs> he talks really loud and he bangs his hands on his desk without realizing it. So I'm glad he can go there and close the door. I sit at this little table over here when I do the finances, and that's almost the only time I'm at a desk. So that's the finance department that's over the there. That's the finance okay. department over there. Social media and all the other things. It's in the other office. It's in the, on the couch. <laughs> okay. okay. So, but I think we're, we're very good at, you know, we're going to, our work day is from 9.30 to 6. And then obviously there's exceptions to the rule where you've got to talk to China or... Or the U.S. Or the U.S. or we have to call a customer and, okay, that's just, I'm going to schedule this call for this time and we're both aware of it and we work around it, meaning, okay, well, I'm going to cook dinner tonight then because you're going to be working on that for 45 minutes and let's just carry on with the day. And we've, we figured that out a long time ago. And it hasn't been, we can go on vacation and spend. Bring, and bring a laptop. And bring the laptop and say, okay, we're going to spend 45 minutes heads down doing some stuff. 
and then we carry on with the vacation. And then we'll come back at the end of the day and do 45 minutes worth of stuff and carry on. Yes, there's some days where the 45 minutes might need to be two hours and other days where it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It can wait till tomorrow. I mean, this is one thing through the pandemic, isn't there? A lot of people were having to work from home. Mm. And having conversations with people doing the working from home, one of the biggest things was, I have got no separation now between my work and my personal life because my dining room table has got my computer, it's got my files, the phone doesn't stop ringing. And for a lot of people, that was a bit of a shocker wasn't it actually yeah okay yeah. working from home is not ideal yeah. but it was that okay every time I walk into the lounge in my pajamas my desk is there and the papers and the notepad mm. and all the rest of it and a lot of people were literally saying okay I have got to down tools at six o'clock pack it away even yeah. if you chuck it in a cupboard under the stairs because I need to feed my family on the dining room table right but you seem to, I love the fact that just over here we've got the finance and we've got the social media and marketing is on there. That's great, but sort of psycholo psychologically, no, that's psychologically, psychologically thank you very much, you are moving to a different area to do a different part of the business. Correct. And I can see how that works. Mm -hmm. For me, it really does. I think in the beginning, when I first came into the business, I forced myself to sit at the desk and then I thought, well, I don't actually really need to be here all the time and I thought you know what when do I really need to be and it was it was stressing me out for some reason and then I got to the point of I really only need to be here with my markers and my pens the once a month when I'm doing the spreadsheets and the finances and then I tidy it all up and that goes in the filing cabinet and that goes here and then I'm done and then I might sit at the table or the desk if I'm really doing a whole bunch of preparatory work for social media posts because then I just put my head down and I do it but otherwise I can do 45 minutes and then I go study Spanish or and then I come back to it and then make lunch or take the dog out it's taken me a long time yes to be able to put things away and compartmentalize it if you will but for me I figured it out and it, and it really works whereas I think Rick's mind works a little bit differently and I won't speak for you <laughs> obviously I have an opinion as to how it goes but you can say for yourself my mind usually works on several different levels all the time I have one of those either luckily or unluckily a brain that doesn't shut up and so uh, you know I may be holding a conversation like this one and in the back of my mind I'm thinking about uh, a marketing issue or a, or a redesign issue or something else on a different level and it they sometimes go concurrent it's can be a little frustrating, I'm sure, to be married to that. But back to addressing the area, uh, the thing about the pandemic and people working mm -hmm. from home and stuff. I think it all has to do with being able to compartmentize it. And you see a psychological thing before. For example, for us, the end of our day, the signal of the mm -hmm. the, the the factory whistle blowing is when I bring Melissa a glass of wine. That's it. That's Love the end that. of our day, and Love it happens. That. It typically happens after feeding. We have three cats. Um, that were the the instigators of this whole thing and and our dog and so when the animal feeding is done at typically around 5 30 that's that's when the work whistle blows and we're done bring a glass of wine we're done with the day and we transition to whatever else so and we've been doing that for quite a number of years before the pandemic that's a lot of wine just getting yourself and making 
I want to say it may not be discipline, but allowing yourself to compartmentalize things and move on with things, allowing that fluidity. I will say in the beginning for me, working from home was very difficult, very, very difficult because of all the reasons you mentioned. And eventually we, we figured a system and it, it's been working great. Yeah, I want to say seven years now. Yeah, almost seven. That's right. We also don't have a, a boss somewhere else who's monitoring whether or not we're online or you know, we're going on a Zoom call and can hear the kids in the background screaming, or we don't have any of that, so we're, we're lucky in that way. But yeah, it, it has, regardless, it has taken us a few years to figure that out and get to the point of being able to just shut it off and put it away. All these side stories. We were on a holiday trip um, when the pandemic first hit, mm. and we were stuck in a very firm lockdown where... The only uh, only one of the two of us could go out to even get groceries, and that was it. Um, with police uh, sheet and everything else, we were locked in an apartment for a month. Mm -hmm. It was no big deal for us. Other people would be at each other's throats or going crazy or whatever, but it was just, oh, we need to adapt a little bit. Okay, we're fine. We had our laptops. We're good. You know? I mean, you're coming across you too as incredibly balanced people and as a couple in a business partnership. We're lucky. I mean, you two need to run a course or a workshop for other people because so the working day finishes at five o'clock with a glass of wine. I mean, that is absolutely brilliant. Listen to your mother. I mean, that's another gem, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's how life works. Do you sort of sit down? I mean, Melissa, you're in charge of the finances. Do you sit down and have a monthly sort of review what's gone on and what the focus is for next month and a quarterly and an annual? No, is the answer to that. So I do the finances every month. If I have a question or if I have a, wait a minute, this seems a little bit out of whack, then we have a chat about it. But for the most part, I figure it out and there's not a lot to to discuss in that regard you know it just it ticks along sometimes certain things are higher than others but you know it's been going on for a number of years so we know that the pandemic has brought supply chain issues which has impacted us in different ways stock wise and in finance wise but we understand that and we can work through and around all of that so we don't really even have to have those discussions very often and when we do, it's just a quick little five-minute, hey, what's this all about? Let's figure it out. What do we need to do? Do we even need to do anything? I think, I think it boils down also to teamwork um, and, under, and knowing what you are good or what you're capable of, what your limits are. For example, in the past few years, in the beginning, the early days, I designed and built a website myself using standard stuff. It was a very rudimentary site. And over time, we got some friends who are website savvy, and we found somebody who was in the last couple of years, we've realized we've reached the limit of what we can do in that regard. So there are certain parts of our business. It's like me going from building them in the garage and then going to the factory. Well, there's certain parts like with the website thing, we've enlisted some real professional help and improved things a lot. And so those are the areas where Melissa and I sit down and go, well, do we, do we need this? Um, this person offers this suite of products and everything, but we don't really need that entire suite because we're, we know what we're good at, but we know where we need help. And I think that's part of it too, is part of the teamwork thing. 
So I think one of the things as well, when you do listen to people talking about starting businesses, one of the things is don't try and do everything on your own. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the second thing is never be afraid to ask for help. Right on, right on. Top. Yeah. If you were starting your business again back in the days of your garage, is there anything you would have done differently? Hindsight, quick answer, I would say probably not. The evolution of the business, I won't claim that we were the most brilliant at what we did, but we seemed to to hit right on target at each step. So the way it evolved was I made the, the prototypes, tested the prototypes, got some some friends to be my test customer, had the prototypes. Then I thought, well, this is pretty cool. So I made 50 in one batch. We put them on eBay and they sold out in hours. And I thought, well, we've got something going here. And then started each step doing something and it, we, I, we lucked out. That was the best way to go. And if we reached the level where it was taking over our lives with making them at home and we, we weren't ready to, to accept that. And that's when we took the next step. So I don't know that in the evolution of the business, I don't know that... I think given the way the state of play was in that time, I think, you know, sure, maybe there are some small things we could have done differently. But to be honest, thinking about all the key points of starting and to launching, not really. No, I don't think that there was a whole lot that we could have done differently or should have done differently. If we were to start it today, then the answer is different. Absolutely different. Because the state of play is so different. But no, it was a matter of you had done all the research and found that there was a market. How big it was going to be? We had no idea. We had no idea. We thought it would be big, but not what it has become. Not end up being a full-time business for us. (laughs) I mean, obviously we don't have jobs in the background, other jobs in the background, and we haven't uh, for a long time. Yeah. So, any plans for the future? World domination? No. Well, when you say world domination, it's interesting. We, uh, in the beginning, it was all U.S., and we sell on Amazon U.S. Um, we now have customers in 26 countries around the planet. So, we're we're continuing to grow, and we're continuing to take care of those customers. Um, um, we would like to continue to grow, but... We're not going to explode and go on the New York Stock Exchange or something like that. We're just going to continue. Be happy with what you have. Be able to control and service what you have. Do it with style and do it with kindness and care for other people. We live a happy life. This has enabled us to live, I won't say, we're we're not wealthy. We're never going to be wealthy, but we're comfortable. And it allows us, as Melissa was saying, we'll be on holiday somewhere. 45 minutes of work, then we go to the beach or wherever, and we're done. We're fortunate with that. And and we can keep the business character. For instance, during the podcast here, you saw one of our cats go by. The cats that generated this whole business were Jack and Stan. Black cat Jack was our boy. Our logo on our product, one of the the people we were working with, uh, marketing people, said they wanted to change our logo. Our logo has Jack our black cat in the logo. He will always be in the logo because if it weren't for Jack, we wouldn't have this business. So it's these little character bits that maybe a lot of people don't know. It's just, it's a good good way to live. And I think that's incredibly important because Jack was the reason. Yep. Jack was part of the family. And that's what it is all about because 
everybody you speak to has a pet, their pet is part of the family. And the fact that you went against some marketing person that said, no, this is us, this is what we're about, this is what our family is, no, Jack is staying. Absolutely phenomenal. Because it would have been very easy to go, okay, this person's the marketing genius, da da da. You stuck to your guns. He wasn't happy with it either. I said, no, no, I'm sure. No, he was I'm not Jack sure. was our official test cat. He tested all our <laughs> products. He was the reason we did it, and he stays on there. So. And I think this is the thing, isn't it? It's these small stories or the reason why something is like it is because it is something that is part of you, part of your family, and by God, it's going to stay there. Absolutely. So, Melissa... Final word, Rick, final words. Wow, final words to say here. <laughs> Rick, do you have final words? Let me think about it. I just want, Sheila, I want to say thank you again for interviewing us. It's been lovely. And, and being able to share something that has that grew into a passion for us. If you can call, you know, a cat poop tray a passion. But in the end, it's all around people and pets. You can't go wrong, you know, taking care of people and their pets. We love it. And I guess, uh, you know, just to follow up on that, I get if, if you have listeners who are curious or interested in starting their own business or have an idea for something, we're always happy to talk to people who have these funny ideas because you never know where it's going to go. You really don't. And we have had over the years a fair number of people approach us and ask questions. How do I get started with this? Or even I want to go on Amazon. Tell me more about that. We spent some time chatting with them and some people decided that it's not for them and some people decided to take the plunge with the Amazon side of the business or even just trying to launch a new product. So we're open to having chats. We've mentored a couple of people. Yeah. Well, I, I think that is a very, very generous offer from you because we've all at some point, I want to start a business, don't know what it is, but I want a business of something and this Never be afraid to ask for help. Absolutely. Don't try and do it all yourselves. I mean, a lot of people will start a small business and get their husband involved, the kids. And then hopefully there becomes a point where you have to say, okay, this is going so well, we actually need to put this on a, a proper business footing, not just family and friends. So that is an incredibly generous offer. I think the one thing I am personally taking away from this, from both of you, is the customer service because that makes the difference whether you buy your product from store A, store B, store C. And the story of Jack the cat on the box, by God, stick by your guns on that, Rick, because I think that is brilliant. So from the All About You podcast, thank you, Rick. Thank Thank you, you, Melissa. It's been fascinating. Now, hopefully you're going to show me the product as well. So Thank you very much. I'll make sure all the links to the business, your social media, everything is included with the podcast. And thank you both for being guests on the All About You podcast. Oh, thank, thank you, you, Sheila. Thank you. Thanks thank for you. your time. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please subscribe on whatever platform you are using. It is free. And if you would like to tell your story, please contact me on all about you podcast at yahoo.com and let's tell your story.